With Tesla Government's knowledge management solutions, you are adding a strategic partner that helps unleash the full power and potential of your institutional information. Let us unpack your data and put your knowledge to work. Learn more at teslagov.com. LC38brand.com, the civil affairs lifestyle brand. A little bit of something for everybody. T-shirts, polos, shorts, hats, flags, posters for your walls, and stickers for everything else. Items for citizen soldiers of USA KPOC and warrior diplomats at Fort Bragg alike. LC38brand.com. It's cool to like your job. If anyone knows anything about relationships and building networks, is that that's not something that you can do in the midst of necessity. It needs to be established and cultivated before the need to engage that network. Hi, this is John McElligot, host of the 1CA podcast. This episode is a recording of the 2021 Civil Affairs Symposium. The theme was Building a Global Civil Military Network. The following discussion was entitled, Use of KPOC Command Strategic Initiatives in Civil Military Networking. The facilitator is Colonel Marshall Strauss-Scantlin, Director of Strategic Initiatives for the U.S. Army Civil Affairs and Psychological Operations Command, Airborne. Panelists include Colonel Keith Kelly, Commander of the 364th Civil Affairs Brigade, Colonel Reginald Cornegay, Commander of the 360th Civil Affairs Brigade, and Colonel William Smith, Commander of the 308th Civil Affairs Brigade. Enjoy the show. So welcome everybody, and glad you could make it. And uh, our big question is, is really a piece of what do we look like? What do we do in the future? With FM3 Tech 57 uh, recently republished 28 July 2021, it's a different way of understanding our doctrine. We have brought doctrine forward from the past that still works, and we're combining it with new terms, tasks, and some new elements. Two of these new elements the CA task force and civil network development and engagement are going to become the focus of this panel. So how does a CA task force plan and implement civil network development and engagement during competition, conflict, or large-scale combat? From FM Tech 357, a CA task force is a scalable unit in charge of the stabilization elements and organized around the nucleus of CA and support elements and provides an important linkage between interagency interorganizational, and non-government organizations. The augmentation can include public affairs, maneuver elements, engineers, medical units, military police, logistics, transportation elements, or other units as necessary for stabilization operations. Civil network development and engagement is the activity that it engages, evaluates, develops, and integrates civil network capabilities and resources into operations. It provides commanders with a more complete understanding of the operational environment. Civil network development and engagement enables freedom of movement and maneuver, management of limited resources, preservation of combat power, and options to find, disrupt, and defeat threats in the civil component. So based on that, we're now gonna start a conversation on what we can do in the future. To lead the conversation, we have three brigade commanders, Colonels Keith Kelly, Reggie Cornegay, and Will Smith. Colonel Kelly enlisted in the United States Army Reserve August 1989 as a combat medic in the 100th of the 442nd Infantry Regiment in Honolulu, Hawaii. He commissioned in 1992 as an infantry officer in the 100th, and in the summer of 1999, 
He joined the 364 Civil Affairs Brigade. In 2004, he deployed to Afghanistan, served with the 10th Mountain Division, CJ-9, the 22nd Marine Expeditionary Unit, Special Operations Capable, and Terran Cout PRT with the 3rd Brigade, 2nd, 25th Infantry Division Light. In February 2017, Colonel Kelly took command of the 152nd Theater Information Operations Group. And on April 1st, 2020, Colonel Kelly took command of the 364 Civil Affairs Brigades. His awards include the Bronze Star Medal and Combat Action Badge. In his civilian capacity, Colonel Kelly has 25 years of law enforcement service with the Honolulu Police Department, Portland Police Department, and the Bureau, Federal Bureau of Investigation. Colonel Reggie Cornegay enlisted in the Army National Guard as an infantryman in 1989. He commissioned in 93 as a field artillery officer and then joined the 411 Civil Affairs Battalion in 1998. 2004, he deployed to Iraq with the 478th Civil Affairs Battalion Special Operations and later to the Horn of Africa and Latin America and also the Caribbean. Colonel Cornegay recently took command of the 360th Civil Affairs Brigade. His awards include the Bronze Star Medal, Purple Heart Medal, Combat Action Badge, and the NATO CIO, CIOR Military Pentathlon Badge. In his civilian capacity, Colonel Cornegay is an entrepreneur and has owned several businesses in Florida. Colonel William Smith enlisted in the U.S. Army into the Ranger Regiment in 1990. After his active time, he commissioned in the U.S. Army Reserve in 2000 and transferred into civil affairs in 2002. Colonel Smith has deployed to Iraq and Kuwait. He commanded the 431st Civil Affairs Battalion and 30 September 2021 took command of the 308 CA Brigade. His awards included Legion of Merit, Bronze Star, and Combat Action Badge. In his civilian capacity, he is a Texarkana Fire Chief and Emergency Management Coordinator. The panelists will give their opening comments on this topic, and then they will take all questions from the attendees. These are, of course, not final ideas or or comments on the topic, this is evolving. So please raise your hand or type a question in the chat. Colonel Kelly, will you begin? Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, I really, uh, first and foremost, uh, thank you for allowing me um, <clears throat> and inviting me to participate. I'm uh, both honored and uh, humbled to be a part of this uh, organization and, uh, and, and participate today. Um, First and foremost, you know, from my perspective, uh, you, the majority of my career has been focused in the uh, Pacific uh, AOR. So uh, a lot of what I'm going to speak to is is sort of from that perspective. And and it, when I first looked at the uh, the FM, one of the things that struck me was the uh, forward that was uh, published within the FM uh, by uh, Major General Roberson. And the two points were uh, that really stuck out, and and it kind of drive home the importance of of this these two uh, topics are the uh, the the quote of trends in the future operational environment point point to operations among populations in a complex multi domain and extended battlefield, and then secondly that you know, CA soldiers shape the operational environment, and you. Know, when I when I read that, uh, it, it really drove home a, a a series of comments and statements that have uh, that I've heard over the years, um, going back to when I was a tie-out commander, uh, when uh, Major General Ammerman was so uh, uh, kind to select me for that position, and 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 it was the realization of how we in the civil affairs community kind of possess the multitude of influence capabilities uh, that the Army has. And what really strikes me about this civil network development and engagement is it's now putting together a, a, a framework 
in which to give us entry points into that, uh, you know, the, the human domain, which uh, in, in my estimation is one of the, it, when we talk multi-domain operations, we don't necessarily recognize the human domain as its own uh, domain or even the cognitive domain as its own domain. And, 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 and I think that's something that we need to you, you consider when our forces uh, uh, get good at something like this civil network development and engagement, along with integrating our civil knowledge integration, uh, you, this, this sort of takes us to a, a whole new level of being a, a, a force in which during you know, the competition phase through crisis, through uh, conflict and, and the return of competition that really does that, uh, that piece that was mentioned in the, um, in the forward, which is shaping the operational environment. And um, a couple of concerns that I have with this as I read through it, and this is just from my perspective is, you know, I, I think we have room to make this uh, work and, and grow. But my, my, my first concern is, you know, are we going to make network development a, a specific uh, staff function or a specific team function, such as a uh, rely on a CLT or our Intel folks to manage uh, the, the network development and engagement, um, you know, and with the rapid involvement of human networks and, and the changing human networks, I, I see we're going to need a continuous engagement to ensure that the information that we we develop in this realm it, it remains relevant and remains useful. And then, you know, how do we as KPOC envision the retention and sharing of this information and any of the products that uh, we develop, uh, especially during the competition phase as we help to shape that environment? Um, just a quick note on the Civil Affairs Task Force. Again, being a Pacific focused uh, entity and having had a lot of experience and, and opportunities to work with uh, US Indo-PACOM, I can tell you um, the, the folks have been leaning uh, so far forward in, in ensuring that the Civil Affairs Task Force concept is uh, implemented in the, all the updates to O-plans moving forward uh, to the point where they've actually you reach down to the 351 and elements of 351 to help develop this, uh, uh, um, ensure the comp uh, the information is included into those O plans and that it's done accordingly uh, to what our capabilities can actually deliver for the uh, for the GCC and the ASCC. So uh, very critical piece that uh, I think is going to become a, a, an important factor for uh, brigade commanders moving forward as these get implemented into O plans. Uh, when that comes to execution, we're going to need to be really proficient in these uh, tasks. So that's about all I have for opening comments. I, I, uh, I'll turn it back over to you, uh, Colonel Scanlon. Thanks, Keith. Colonel Cornegay. Uh, first, uh, really appreciate everyone uh, participating in this and also giving me the opportunity again what, what uh, same as uh, Keith mentioned, uh, give an opportunity to talk about this, uh, particularly change in doctrine. This is uh, something that we've always talked about uh, in, in the civil affairs uh, community. Um, when we look at the different changes that are now be, uh, being applied here in the new FM3-57, uh, these are some things that we grumbled and fussed about when, during our deployments to Iraq and Afghanistan, and even in certain other areas, potentially within um, other geographical uh, combatant areas. 
And now we're seeing it start to come to a, a more defined pathway in what we thought uh, civil affairs needed to go to. And, and what we also thought uh, the engagement with the civilian population in times of conflict and, and, uh, and uh, crisis was uh, supposed to look like. Uh, so it, it's exciting times, but it's also uh, times in which we have some uh, reservation about how we're going to make all of this happen. Uh, because uh, with the new doctrine here uh, in, in 357, it's causing us now to look and shape and, and shift what we perceived uh, civil engagement to be all the way back since early modern combat, right? Uh, to what we are now experiencing in this very much asymmetric multi-domain uh, type of uh, conflict and combat environment. Uh, so again, a lot of uh, great information and a lot of great terminology is being used in this, this, this doctrine. But now we have to look at how we're going to implement this and how we're going to bring it uh, to a manifested reality for the force. Uh, so a couple of things that I, I looked at uh, in the, the doctrine that kind of brought uh, some of what I just mentioned uh, to the forefront. And as the one thing, it was situational awareness versus situational understanding. And I think anyone who's gone to Iraq and Afghanistan as a civil affairs operator we knew that there was always an issue with truly getting situational understanding. Um, we use situational awareness as recognizing that something is there, right? Uh, you know, to, to give a simple analogy, we can be aware that a bull is in a China shop and tearing up China. Um, and that's okay, we understand the bull's in there and we see in the glass on the floor, so it, it's, it's present and we can recognize and identify that. But we never really had situational understanding when, when we looked at how situations and civil dynamics were taking place in areas like Afghanistan and Iraq and different regions and, and tribal areas. Um, we really didn't understand essentially why the bull was in the China shop, why it was hitting certain pieces of China and leaving other China other pieces of China alone, and then how we can persuade this bull in some form or fashion, whether it be kinetically or non-kinetically, to get out of the shop. And that's situational understanding, right? We have to figure out now with this new doctrine, how do we get the force to understand that, that there needs to be situational understanding when dealing with a civil dynamic rather than just being aware that it exists. And to bring it a little bit more home, we we looked at governance, total governance uh, in the areas in which we engaged in, in large scale operations over the last two decades. Uh, we understood that these were, we, these were uh, Islamic governance areas uh, within inside of the, uh, the, the world and that these, these governments and, and, and forms of government were uniquely different than ours. That's situational awareness. Did we really have understanding of that element of the civil dynamic to a point where we could actually engage in it and do things like we're mentioning now in the doctrine of transitional uh, military authority, having transitional governance uh, uh, develop within uh, our presence on the ground 
or were, did we find ourselves, and most of us can agree, we found ourselves trying to floundering around to trying to figure out what Islamic governance meant to the population uh, that we were now engaged with while we're in the middle of combat operations. So we're hoping that now with this doctrine being more definitive in its language, that we'll start to really explore how civil affairs and how CMO collectively needs to address the, the population and its governance uh, prior to us arriving and how these things may have shifted and changed upon our arrival. And this is going to require, when we talk about uh, CNDE, when we're talking about building civil networks, we now have to look at how do we get the civil networks in place that are uh, before the, 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 the need for, um, or, or before we engage in areas of crisis and armed conflict as what we've seen in the last two decades and how that, that relationship and that network can be enduring through that process. And that's, that's one of the key points here is the, the, the civil network that we develop is going to need to be enduring through all of the different elements and phases of, of conflict and, and, and throughout the competition uh, continuum. Um, and that, next, I think that the doctrine is really starting to speak to this um, as far as in, in, in theory, but practice is where we're going to have to really delve into what we've been doing in our normal construct and how that needs to change. Uh, the doctrine talks about the best way to um, conduct uh, civil network development is in person. And we know that the majority of civil affairs forces lie within the reserves. And under USARC, there is this, its own challenges of how do you get civil affairs uh, personnel, how do you get civil affairs teams and operators into theaters during this, this competitive phase enough to develop, truly develop a civil network? Um, because what we've done previously, we, we, we've gone in and we've tried to establish things in the midst of crisis and armed conflict. And if anyone knows anything about relationships and building networks, is that that's not something that you can do in the midst of necessity. It needs to be established and cultivated before the need to, to engage that network. Right? It's like sort of trying to build a computer network after you realize now that you need information to be, to be flowing currently, right? We need to, to build that network and decide what that network needs to be before the information flow really becomes uh, extremely vital and important to us. Uh, so I think that where we're going with this, like I said, the language is there and that's great. We need to start off with the language. The real challenge is going to be the implementation of this. How do we get our soldiers in place to truly build these realistic reality networks that are going to be necessary for us to engage the civil component throughout the continuum and it be enduring for the, uh, um, for the force so that we can meet our military objectives. We can also support uh, transitional governance within a population that is not American, right? Uh, and be able to get, uh, gain 
and develop and, and establish that trust so that when we, when we are uh, brought into the situation where we're having to enter into the battle space, that we're not introducing ourselves uh, to the civil component at that point. We're just now engaging with what we've already established. Um, and, and I think where this is going to need to start is how we train our forces and not just civil affairs forces, but also the maneuver element. Because previously, the, uh, when we looked at training, when we looked at collective training, organizational training, we saw uh, the focus being on the maneuver element. And with the new CA task force, we're saying that at times in this conflict, the maneuver element is not going to be the focal point. It's not going to be kinetic operations. It's going to be this non-kinetic engagement for which we are trying to establish transitional governance to a manner in which the population is supportive of it. And it could lead into a permanent stability for which we can transition our forces out of fear. This needs to take place in our training uh, uh, products and our training paradigm so that when we go to CTE rotations, there needs to be an element or a focus where we employ the CA task force into this. And it is not just an afterthought in this training model uh, because what we've learned already from Iraq and Afghanistan is, is that we may win the kinetic fight, but that is not the end of conflict, right? Um, you know, when the bullets stop firing, that is not, that is not victory, so to speak. It may just be a momentary pause uh, between hostilities and 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 in and the the uh, nature of the conflict, or it could be a transition and a transformation of conflict. We have to make sure that if we employ this new uh, doctrine and this, and this new construct, that the entire force is ready to engage, and this is going to have to start in in training. It's going to have to start training. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to stop there because like I said I can go all day. This is a lot of great information that's inside of this, uh, this uh, new version of the FM. And I'm excited about it. And I definitely want to, want to hear what the rest of the, uh, uh, the CA market has to say for it. So I'll, I'll pause there for you. I appreciate it, Marshall. Thanks. Thanks, Reggie. Carl Smith? Hey, um, again, I... Very excited to be here. Uh, thank you for inviting me. Strauss, thank you for letting me follow those to you. That's going to be a hard act to follow um, behind Keith and Reggie there. I think what I, I'm very excited to see the doctrine that's come out because what I'd like to talk about is I just came back from 16-month deployment with Arsene. And when I arrived there, we were falling in on a civil affairs support detachment, non-doctrinal. We had two-man CLTs and kind of how they were doing business. It was it just wasn't doctrine, and it was hard to uh, convince people what we're doing and, and, and why we're doing it, why we're there. So, and then COVID hit, and we sat there, and it, that was a hard time. Um, hard to really show the, the value for uh, civil affairs uh, during that because we couldn't meet with anybody, couldn't go out and, and do everything that we we're just talking about. Earlier this year, we reorganized, um, we went. And we, we got into the, the current doctrine and we were reorganized as a theory model. Um, and our CLTs and where we're going, wrote a new term of reference for <coughs> our scent and um, wrote an SOP. Um, we did some we did some exercises with the first TSC and our scent and the R scent forward element there and kind of showed 
you know, what we could do, the CMOC, and it was, it was going well. And then Afghanistan happened. It was kind of a, a weird situation there with the way that happened. So I was also filling in, I was the, the theater CMOC chief, I was also filling in as the uh, deputy chief of staff for for our center. And that kind of tied me down and hindered getting out and doing what I really needed to do. But I was able to work with the elements in Kuwait. And we set up enduring and two totally different experiences between Qatar and Kuwait. In Kuwait at Buring, they took a, um, a task force, uh, the task force Spartan, and they put their one star in charge of it. They, the engineers were actually leading that. And then the CMOC supported their Buring. And we had MP support. We had all the, the support MOSs there. It, it actually went very well in Kuwait. Ran 5,000 refugees through there for Operation Allies Refuge in, in 14 days. Um, humanitarian assistance that happened. Um, it, it was just fantastic to see that that work. And of course, there was some hiccups. Uh, there was a lot of interagency. They brought over customs and um, and border border protection, and we got those in there and worked through this. And contrast to what was going on in Cutter and down at AUAB. So initially, I went down there and we met with IOM. Um, it was very difficult to get State Department and some of the interagency there. I think the main thing that was lacking was that task force and that C2 down there at Cutter and AUAB. So and you saw in the headlines and what was going on. It was, uh, it was difficult. And it's still difficult over there with the way that was run. It was very disorganized. Having that CA task force that we're looking at is, is crucial. I do think, though, that it needs to be at the, the KCOM level. I think having that one star for the credibility to interact, at least in my experience at RCENT, that, that's where it needs to be at. So I was standing there with Lieutenant General Farrell and initially on this, and he said he did not want the theater CMOC disengaging from what we were doing in other parts of the, the theater. He, he wanted a Jayada. Unfortunately, we never got to the Jayada. He rotated out shortly thereafter during the middle of that pan stand, and Lieutenant General Clark came on. We did not get the Jayada set up, but the CA task force concept working in Kuwait was was fantastic. And I think though, without doing without it being a one star level with a KCOM running that, it's just it's going to be difficult to do that at any other level. Everywhere you look, there's a barrage of emails and information telling you what everybody has done, is doing, or plans to do, all in excruciating detail. But access is only half the battle. You also need information presented in a usable form. But that takes work, and the more information you have, the more work it takes. Tesla government takes on these issues so that your office or agency can fully exploit the data you already have. Our knowledge management experts organize and curate your internal data. Our open source research augments your knowledge base with strategic insights from our globally experienced team. And our data visualization turns complex data into compelling visuals, while our community building makes sure everyone benefits by leveraging collective knowledge. With Tesla government's knowledge management solutions, you are adding a strategic partner that helps unleash the full power and potential of your institutional information. Let us unpack your data and put your knowledge to work. Learn more at teslagov.com. LC38brand.com, the civil affairs lifestyle brand. Something for everyone. 
the world traveler, the civil engager, the warrior diplomat. We got t-shirts, polos, shorts, hats, flags and posters for your walls, and stickers for everything else. Celebrating the heritage of civil affairs, from the civil reconnaissance of Lewis and Clark through the monuments men of World War II and companies of Vietnam. Repping the present teams of the global war on terror, with items for citizen soldiers of use of KPOC and warrior diplomats at Fort Bragg alike. Collections include suits and shoots for fans of jumping out of airplanes and looking good, Pineland to remember your trip to the People's Republic, and Lewis and Clark to honor the two party animals who popularized huge DTS vouchers. You want Pipox? We got Pipox. New items all the time. Custom flags, stickers, and shirts? Send us an email. Follow us on Facebook or Instagram at LC38Brand or contact us at info at LC38Brand.com. LC38Brand.com. It's cool to like your job. Do you have an idea for an upcoming podcast or know someone who may be a good person to interview? Contact us at capodcasting at gmail.com. Hey, hey, sir, this is a Major Casserly. Yes. Can you hear me? It's from uh, Honolulu. Uh, to pull the thread on uh, Colonel Cornegie's discussion with training uh, and with the implementation of... Uh, do you see an implementation of increased use of KPOC brigades and the inclusion of KCOMs in warfighting exercises with MCTP uh, in order to get those game, uh, reps and sets for integrating into the division in core B2C2WG enterprise uh, and pushing that consolidation of games and then transitional into military governance at those division and core level exercises? Over. Yeah, so I'll, I'll take this one since it, it's at our level here at KPOC. Yes, we are looking at that. When we look at our current uh, CPXF exercises, we do twice a year with our brigades, the PSYOP group, but I'm sorry, psychological operations battalions and our IO teams. We want to integrate those into something like the JWA, Joint Warfighter uh, Assessment, or a Warfighter, where that brigade or KCOM can, or the Psy Battalion or PSYOP group can support that higher maneuver element, the higher headquarters, and perform these functions. Uh, so the answer is yes. I don't know when, and it's going to be an interesting uh, time to work with all of the, the uh, U.S. Army Futures Command and the different exercise groups, the Army Exercise Group and, and the Joint Exercise Group. Okay, uh, Tony's iPhone. Hey, Strauss. Tony Baja. So um, as currently configured, a KCOM is designed to provide two CMOCs. You know, so one could be at a GCC echelon, one could be at ACC, whatever configuration it is. So going, building on, on Colonel Smith's point of, about the requirement being uh, a, perhaps a KCOM vice, vice a brigade, uh, the million-dollar question is, what structural changes is the proponent looking at to operationalize what they're describing in doctrine over? So we do have uh, an expert on this one. We got uh, Mr. Dennis Cahill, who is from the uh, USASOC Force Management Office, who wants to address the uh, Tony Vaja's question. Mr. Cahill? 
Hey guys, uh, first of all, I wanted to say, uh, you know, great opening comments from all three brigade commanders and uh, appreciate the endorsement for the uh, new, the rewrite of FM 3-57. As uh, Colonel Sisk and, and Colonel Eddick before him and, and also Lieutenant Colonel Dickerson have said, you know, the, the 357 that was just published in July <clears throat> is a result of a lot of hard work uh, by the, um, the Civil Affairs Branch proponent and many participants from across the operational force in the force mod assessment uh, that was done in 2019 and 2020. And the four, the new core competencies uh, that we described earlier are um, our way of better articulating to ourselves and to the Army and the joint force what exactly it is that we do uh, civil affairs forces do uh, when deployed in, in civil affairs operations. Um, as far as the CA task force is concerned, you know, we, it's, it's mentioned in the, in the, uh, in the FM and it's also, I haven't yet seen the uh, draft of FM 3-0, but FM 3-0, my, my understanding is that uh, it goes into some extensive uh, discussion of how a civil affairs task force will support uh, stabilization in rear areas, uh, division rear areas, core rear areas, pretty much take on that role of um, leading and working through the initial uh, governance, uh, transition to governance uh, in, in rear areas, as well as a long-term transition. And we in the proponent have, have written, still in draft, a draft civil affairs task force uh, paper that we intend to work through some uh, experiments in, in the coming year. And, and basically, the Civil Affairs Task Force is a term, not just for brigade, not just for uh, KCOM, but also it can be, it can be uh, used for a battalion level, or even a company level, depending on the mission, you know, MET-TC. But one of the questions was, you know, I think, Tony, you asked a question, what is a proponent doing for the structure? And Dr. Walsh was speaking earlier uh, in an earlier session. Dr. Walsh, Dale Walsh is our lead organizational design uh, SME. And he's been leading some sessions. They're, they're taking a lot longer than we had expected because as, as Colonel Sis showed you earlier, there's very few of us, there's a lot of issues that uh, we are trying to work between ourselves and the branch proponent coming out of the force mod assessment. But one of the uh, working groups that, that Dr. Walsh is leading is on a forest design, uh, and we've been working with uh, the branch proponent and, and KPOC and some others. And one of the things we have to correct in our forest structure, and several of our, our past KCOM commanders have, have uh, brought this up, how none of our formations are really organized well to conduct command and control over assigned and attached forces. And so that's one thing we've, we've got to look at, putting the capabilities in our headquarters to better provide that task force headquarters structure to command and control all the capabilities that were, were mentioned, uh, I think by Colonel, Stra uh, Colonel Scantlin earlier that could come under a civil affairs task force structure. Uh, so there's a lot of work we've got uh, ahead of us and um, we believe we are, we're working towards the, the solution. We will be 
consulting with the operational force uh, when we get to that point. But uh, anyway, I, I'll, I'll stop there. I know there's probably a lot of other hey, questions. Hey, Dennis, could I, could I chime in real quick? I, Dale, you're in. Good. Please go, they, go ahead. I heard my name in vain, so major character <laughs> from my afternoon slumber. But okay. two things. On, with regards to the Civil Affairs Task Force, what we are looking at doing is following the pattern that they've established at core and theater armies and have a like an operational command post slash contingency command post documented on the toe and the M-toe, have a, have a true separate paragraph and line number. So when we do form a Civil Affairs Task Force, that nucleus that the task force is built around does not have to steal or borrow personnel or equipment from the other staff directorates to form that thing. So say for instance, a, a KCOM is tasked with forming a CATF in whatever, you know, countrywide. The KCOM itself, itself still has those daily operational requirements that they have to do to run the KCOM. But historically we have taken personnel and equipment and that restricts their ability to do their command and control functions for those units that are not in the operational or mission area. So that's, that is the, the scheme of action that we're pursuing. And to get to your question, the, the intent is to submit the FDU, the suspenses by June for TAA 2630 consideration. Over. So I'm gonna call on uh, Carolyn Pogge. I think she's got a question. Hey, Strauss, thank you. Um, actually, it follows up, and Dennis, you may be the person to jump back into this one or uh, any of the brigade commanders, but I'm just curious. So um, many of you that know me know I'm currently deployed to Germany, the use Euraf G39, where they've consolidated CAIO, SEMA, and Space STOW events all in the same, uh, all the equities together. And the, the big piece that we noticed as we brought on the captain, the CKI team here is trying to understand how to do that secondary level education for our, our field grade officers and our senior NCOs to prepare them for strategic level planning um, at something like an ACC level. And so I'm just curious if uh, the proponent or, or even the brigades have thought about how we can prepare our soldiers. We do a great job at the tactical, the cat level, but how do we bring them up to uh, prepare them to go into an ACC or some higher level strategic planning over? Hey, Reggie, do you wanna take this one? I'll take a little bit of it. You know, that's a, that's a great question. And I think that we already start to do some of that. Obviously we're, we're sending uh, cats to the, um, uh, to the ASCCs and even to do work in CENTCOM so that we can build that connective tissue uh, in the strategic planning process. Uh, the key point here is that they, they have to be utilized uh, to the, the, the best of their abilities and also uh, to what their capabilities are. And this is where this training and, and education needs to, to come about. Uh, and you can probably echo this as well throughout your experiences is that depending on the, the uh, leadership at the time, who's in command uh, and the staff, uh, both at the ASCCs or, or at the GCC level, determines what type of utilization takes place when we have our teams there. Those who have employed, uh, employed the teams uh, have seen great benefit uh, and they, they, they return with uh, requests to have those FTNs uh, refilled and even expanded. And then there are those, those, those circumstances under certain command teams where there is struggles and challenges taking place with those uh, teams. 
uh, at the strategic level and they get underutilized or misutilized uh, and they don't get the benefit uh, on both sides, both on the, uh, the CA soldiers who are there, uh, not only just to perform real world tasks, but also to develop uh, their capabilities and their competencies, but also for the ASCCs and, and, the, and the, uh, the GCC to and their staff to understand how they can leverage uh, those CA planners and, and those, um, those liaison teams to better engage in what we're going to see here now. And that is the, the, the civil network development. Uh, we're going to have to get out in the field much more in order to establish the, the, the CND uh, and the uh, CNDE. And that's going to really uh, bring out the question of resourcing. How do we get our soldiers uh, and operators into theater, into the, uh, the command structures that before conflict, before we're dealing with crisis, uh, to really start to build those networks? Um, and we know that that's, that's, there's, there's funding issues uh, involved in that. Uh, there's just the normal challenges dealing with Compo 3, but we're going to have to figure out how that's going to take place uh, in order for us to really benefit from these changes that are in the FF. And I hope that that answers at least some of your, your, your questions related to that. Caroline Dennis Cahill here. Uh, you, you probably noticed earlier in the early session that Colonel Sisk and I are in the same office, so I he had to uh, work on another task, but I, I brought him over here to uh, go ahead and respond to your question. So, Carl says. Okay, so again, there's a, there's a couple initiatives that are out there. One, a few we spoke about earlier today in terms of, one, the recoding of TWI positions, right? So the, re, the reconfiguring how TWI is being done. Before, they were just they were very narrowly focused. Now it's going to broaden it out and, and get, more, get after more of the experiences and skills that our folks need within the, within, within the environment. So that's one piece. Coding, um, coding positions to be um, for education, right? So that opens it up to the resources when, when that becomes applicable. So that, that's another avenue. Within, within the CASEL program, that's going to be cradle to grave. It's not going to be like before where hey, whatever, whatever time you spend at 3rd Battalion going through the course, you know, it's not one course is going to set you up for the rest of your life. Right. There's there's going to be training and certifications beyond that piece. Um, we're looking at we're exploring those through, through various universities. Matter of fact, uh, myself and Dr. Walsh will be heading over to William and Mary later this week to kind of just flesh some of that stuff out and see if that's a possible venue. Because you're right. I mean, for so long, you know, I look at it, I come up from this particularly from an active duty lens. You know, we get one course. That's it. As far as education goes, and that's supposed to that's supposed to set us up from team leader to however, however high we can get. And then, you know, you just, you sink or swim. Well, that's, that's, not the, that's not the right answer. It's not the right answer for the active component. It's not the right answer for the reserve component. You can't say, well, the reserves bring skill sets from the civilian, therefore that's, that, that's not enough either. Okay, there has, to be, there has to be a medium in there that we're getting the, the, on the active side, we're getting the skills that we require to be successful in the higher levels, higher echelons, both to interact and plan at, and, and um, advise commanders at that, at that level and the reserves, the same thing. And how, how, we're, how we go about that is going to be very, very important as we move forward, which is why we're looking at, like I said, so many avenues of, of potential success in that. Over. Hey, hey Dennis, uh, this is Colonel uh, uh, What a key point, Dennis, that you're bringing up is that, that level of education, uh, the advanced education 
that's necessary uh, for our soldiers and operators to do what we're going to be asking them to do here under this new FM. Uh, having the basic levels of, of CA training uh, is great, obviously, for the tactical level. But when we're talking about uh, having these levels of, of implications, we've seen that even in, with our civilian uh, experiences and competencies, that's not enough for us to send uh, soldiers into those those uh, situations where there is strategic level planning taking place at the, the civilian level, at the cultural level, where there's not enough of an academic curriculum to support that. Uh, so we do literally throw them out there and say sink or swim. Uh, and some do great at it because they may have some, some experiences with their civilian backgrounds, but others who, who do not uh, have the, the, the benefits and the blessings of having those experiences outside of the uniform, uh, they, they find themselves in, in uniquely challenging situations. And this is where you get different types of results when given the same circumstances with different uh, uh, role players in place. So I absolutely agree that there needs to be a continuum of education and academic development uh, for uh, what we do here in, in CA as it relates to, like I said, the civil network developments as it, as it relates to developing and implementing the transitional government and the cultural elements of, of governments needs to also be in play. Awesome, thanks Reggie, thanks uh, Colonel Sisk. I want to move to, and I'm going to pre-apologize for the name, from the GBR, Odedra Visalji. So um, the question is, when discussing the future proofing of CA force development, what potential hurdles do you look to face um, in the future operational environment? And that is in the sense of a future potential iterative development to be highly adaptive to that future operational environment, because it's a future proofing for beyond um, the near horizon. It's for being able to future proof for, for far horizon, you know, 2050 and beyond over. That is one of the things I, I do here at uh, US, USA KPOC is the strategic initiatives. What are we going to look like in 2035? So one thing we're doing now is how do we use what we have now, the capabilities, the capacity, use it differently course, our, our proponent and uh, UFMC with the new doctrine update has, has thrown us a curveball because now we have to go back and relook at all of our, our plans. But this year, this next year, we're going to put together a team to test a, a concept of a, a tailored organization that includes all of our information-related capabilities we have to include military intelligence as a support, uh, public affairs, information operations, psychological operations, civil affairs, geospatial engineering um, assets, and how do we look at the, the operational environment and provide an answer to, to the commander? That will help us drive to what exactly what uh, William said. We've got to give feedback to our proponent, to the, to the big brains in our organization who can spend the time to look at what do we have to do, how do we do it, and who is going to do it. And with the way we're tailoring our, our, our support elements, our packages, that gives us that flexibility that if a similar problem comes up in three years, we have an answer that worked, but we may need to change it. And that goes back to that CA task force. There's not really a structure defined. It can be tailored for what we need to do. We just have to be able to manage it, to run it, and to exploit 
all of the capacity and capability it brings with it. So I'm going to go ahead and do a quick wrap up. Basically, we have talked about the Civil Affairs Task Force, Civil Network Engagement and Development, the new FM3 Tech 57. Uh, we've talked about exercises. And I think there's a general consensus that no matter how we implement or execute the new doctrine, these two new topics, we got to practice. We need to go out to the, the appropriate level of echelon of exercise, whether that's CTC, uh, Warfighter, CPXF, JWA, or one of the combatant command exercises, but we've got to practice and it's got to be meaningful and, and provide value to that supported commander. Uh, we've talked about uh, preparing our senior, mid and senior level personnel with basically continuing education. One class, one course does not fit you for your entire career from team participation all the way up to brigade, KCOM, theater level involvement. Uh, we've talked about a little bit of, uh, for, for in conflict, how does a disrupted civil network, how, how does it impact our operations? Uh, some of our Marine brethren, what are they doing with their Marine littoral regiments? And uh, so I think it's a pretty productive uh, discussion. And I just want to say on behalf of USA KPOC, our brigade commanders, thank you very much to everybody who has uh, taken their valuable time out of their schedule to participate with us and to listen and to ask questions. If you didn't have time to ask a question or you think of one later, please reach out to me and to the CA Association, and we will see what we can do to get that answered from our panel or anybody else, and uh, at least incorporate your good ideas into the, the future of what we look like and what we do. Thank you. Thank you for spending some time with us. Please subscribe and come back for another installment of 1CA. Until then, be safe and secure the victory. In civil affairs, your success depends on getting the right information to the right people at the right time. Whether it's foundational information for a team about to head out on a mission or putting together a map or other data visualization to brief a general or an ambassador, Tesla Government Solutions and staff can help. With Tesla Government's Knowledge Management Solutions, you're adding a strategic partner that helps unleash the full power and potential of your information. Let us unpack your data and put your knowledge to work. Learn more at teslagov.com. LC38brand.com, the civil affairs lifestyle brand. A little bit of something for everybody. T-shirts, polos, shorts, hats, flags and posters for your walls, and stickers for everything else. Celebrating the heritage of civil affairs from the civil reconnaissance of Lewis and Clark through the monuments men of World War II and companies of Vietnam. Representing the present teams of the global war on terror, we have items for citizen soldiers of USA KPOC and warrior diplomats at Fort Bragg alike. LC38brand.com. It's cool to like your job.